I want you to think about this thought. You are not a human being. You are a spirit being with human flesh. God did not create you for time. God created you for eternity. The most valuable thing you will ever know and ever do is to live as your spirit being created by God in this world because remember, everything you have in this world is temporary. What you have is eternal, eternal. And if that's true, then what we want to feed, what we want to pour into, into our life is not so much this dimension of this world, but the dimension of the world that is to come. It is to enlarge our spirit that his spirit might have greater room in us to do what he wants to do. And the journey that we're on is a journey of the spirit of God. It's not a journey of human beings who are trying to figure out how to find a place to be permanent or to worship God. It is about how to grow into Christ's likeness, grow into the power of the Spirit of God so that as we live in this world and as we breathe in this world, we bring his kingdom into this world so that everything moves out of the way of the kingdom because nothing can come up against his kingdom when we fully and truly release his kingdom in our life. Amen? That is what it's all about. Whatever else you think it is, it's not. It's about that. And that's why we pray. That's why we fast. That's why we give. That's why we sacrifice. Because it is about his kingdom. Even after spending years with Jesus walking this earth, the disciples had a bit of confusion, and they said, teach us to pray. And one of the principal things he taught them was, thy kingdom come. Thy will be done here on earth as it's already being done in heaven. We are to release heaven onto earth so that the kingdom has its pathway clear and that we walk down this highway of holiness this highway of God's blessing, this highway of God's truth, instead of making our own way. It's described in many ways in Scripture. It's called a narrow road, and we think that's just about coming to faith in Christ. That is just the beginning. Once you pass through that narrow gate, you are now on that highway of holiness. You are now on that kingdom pathway that God wants you to understand and to relate to and to begin to realize daily in your life. Let me talk to you about some miracles in this report. Here's the first one, wilderness report. Miracles multiply in the wilderness. There's something about being dependent that increases the number and the depth of miracles in your life. When you cease to be a dependent spirit upon God, the miracles will diminish in their impact, and in their number. You have to stay dependent. You have to come to that place where you say, God, I, I want to realize your power and your presence, but God, I can't do it if I think I've got my life together. Setbacks are of God, you know that. Look at the Bible. It's the strangest book on earth. I, I, that passage has always confounded me. I never have 
really liked it. I planned to, to inform God of that one day. When Peter comes and he's talking to Jesus, and Jesus says to him, Peter, Satan's desire is to sift you like wheat. Now, I would expect Jesus to say that's not going to happen. We're going to make your pathway easy. It's going to be nice and sweet, and and all things are going to work out well for you. You know what he says? And this is what I don't like. I've prayed for you that your faith fail not. Do you want to hear that from God? Or do you want to hear everything's going to be all right, smooth sailing, don't worry about it. But he said what you need is you need to develop the capacity to believe in the middle of the storm because more storms are coming because in this world you will have tribulation, but but be of good cheer for I have overcome the world. You've got to increase the capacity for faith. Because you see, as you increase the capacity of faith in this world, and one day you're going to be in eternity, that somehow is going to have a bearing on your responsibility in heaven. Because in heaven, it's not sitting around playing harps. It's not singing and floating around with angel wings. A couple of reasons. Angels don't have wings, and humans who are transformed into and glorified don't have wings. I'm sorry to blow up that myth about angels having wings. They don't. They look better with wings, but they don't have wings, according to the Bible. Seraphim are the only ones who do. But you see, as you increase this capacity, then God has responsibility for you. You want to, the human side of you wants to expand what you have here on earth and, and be safe and be secure and get retired, retirement pay, and you want to get a house and you want to be healthy and all those kind of things, and they're all fine and they're all valuable. But what if in that pursuit you forfeited the spiritual equivalent of that in eternity? And instead of just trying to figure it out for 60, 70, 80, 100 years, however long you live, for eternity you have to realize that you forfeited so much on the altar of this world because you forgot about what it was all about. I mean, what difference does it make if you don't have what makes a difference? What difference does it really make? Second wilderness report. Faith rises to your view of God. See, your view of God is going to determine how much faith you have. If you have a great, large, powerful God who can do all things, then your faith will rise to that level. If you're not sure if God's really on your side and God is is going to help you through this process, then your faith is only going to rise to that level. Here's the next one. You can be in the middle of a miracle and what? And not know it. I want you to take a look at this picture behind me. It's a uh, con- concept drawing of, the, of our new building. We'll get it up here in just a second. There it is. Now, let me tell you something. When I first saw that, when Robert did it, thank you for Robert doing that. It's just nice how God provided an architect in our church for all of this. And I know he's probably tired. hey, can you change that tree? Um, you know the first thing when I saw that I thought of? I thought of when we were at El Rancho School. This is what came to my mind. And I remember we had to get out that big black cloth and staple it to the front of the stage. 
And I remember getting out there thinking, I've got to get a new staple gun. This one doesn't work very well. As God would have it, I lost it over there, so I have no staple gun. But I remember sitting there, and I was looking at this, I was remembering back, and I thought, you know, God, I wouldn't give up one day of putting those staples in. And I remember I would up there be staple, and people would come up and talk to me. And I wanted to say, I'm working. You want to work this staple gun? Count it all joy, my brethren. Count it all joy. Because that's the development of who we are. That, that builds into us the fiber of who we are. I didn't know I was in the middle of a miracle. I just kept saying, I don't know when I first coined the phrase, you could be in the middle of a miracle and not know it, but it just kind of stuck. And now it makes sense. And you know, do not believe that the destination is this next building. The destination is God. It is finding God. It's growing in God-likeness. It's growing in power. It's expanding the kingdom wherever you go. That's what it's about. Amen? I mean, this will be our fifth location in, in, you know, now 11 months we've been doing this. I don't know. I mean, is that the pattern, God? I hope not. I'd rather just add another building if we could rather than just keep moving. Amen? Amen? Let me take you to the scripture, Exodus chapter 33, verses 18 through 23. Here's Moses. It's a follow-up from last week, and here's what Moses says. He's boldly praying, and he says, please, please, God, show me your glory. God reminded me through this scripture, through what my wife said about obedience, what God showed me. He said, just, we don't ask for big enough stuff. I was praying several weeks ago, and I've hesitated to even say it, but I really believe that by the time that we closed on this building, by the time we hit our one-year anniversary, that we should have a million dollars in assets. And right now, we're at about 750. So I'm just going to be obedient to the Spirit of God. I'm just going to say, I really believe that somehow God has needs to move in some of our lives, my life, your life, everybody's life. And by the time we move into that, we need to have a million dollars going into that building. So I'm just going to pray and ask God just to move your heart and my heart and see what happens. That's the pitch. Doesn't get any deeper and harder than that. Spirit of God can't convince us. Nobody can. Amen. Show me your glory. Ask for big things. He could have said, God, just give me breakfast. He didn't ask for a little thing. He said, God, show me your glory. The manifestation of the almighty God revealed here now while I'm talking. It's a big request. Then he said, I will make all of my goodness pass before you. God says, I'll I'll make my goodness pass before you. And I will proclaim the name of the Lord before you. Now, if you're Moses, you're probably thinking that wasn't specifically what I asked for. And God is, is, is almost kind of baiting him in the spiritual realm, saying, I'm getting to that. Let me show you what's important, though. What's important is that you understand my goodness. It's going to pass before you, and I'm going to proclaim the name of the Lord before you. I'm going to lift up my name before you. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. But he said, you cannot see my face. For no man can see me and live. 
And the Lord said, here is a place by me. Come over here, Moses. You shall stand on the rock. So it shall be while my glory passes by that I will put you in the cleft of the rock and I will cover you with my hand while I pass by. And then I will take away my hand and you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. Now, in theology, we call this a theophany. If you've ever heard the word theology, you understand this is a root of that. A theophany is an appearance of God in a man-like characteristic. This is a theophany. God is is giving us something we can relate to here when he says, my hand and my back He's not saying I literally have a back and a hand. He's saying, no, I'm going, to, I'm going to put you here. I'm going to help you understand this the best I can. Somehow, I'm going to shelter your eyes from seeing all that you need to see because, honestly, you can't handle it. Now, here's what he wanted you to see. First of all, he wants you to say, see his goodness, that God is good. Let's just say that together. God is good. Now let's follow it up with, and Satan is bad. Now, now, what happens is Satan wants to reverse those two things. He wants you to believe that he is good and that God is bad. And I'm going to show you that here in just a minute. As we begin to walk through this, you're going to see three things, and we're going to progressively take you through this. He wants him to understand his goodness, and it's like a stair step. So if you can take a, and just imagine just kind of drawing a step that you step onto the goodness of God. You have to start with the goodness of God. Then you can get to the graciousness of God, and then you can get to the glory of God, but we start with the goodness. So the goodness of God is questioned here. Let me just take you to Genesis chapter 3 and verse 1. See if you remember a bit of this story. Now, the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field that the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, notice what he says, has God indeed said? You see, Satan always will question whether or not God has spoken and what God has said. Has God really said, you shall not eat of the tree of the garden? And the woman said unto the serpent, We may freely eat of the fruit of the tree of the garden. You know that she keeps adding things in here. She keeps kind of twisting things around. She gets a little bit uncertain in her process. But the fruit of the tree, which is in the midst of the garden, God said you shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it. Now, God never said you couldn't touch it. She added that in. And she's changing Scripture as she goes because she's being beguiled by the enemy. And you'll find yourself talking to someone. All of a sudden, you'll find yourself saying, wait a minute, did did I really say that? Did I really mean that? That That is a beguiling spirit of the enemy who comes in, and he's bringing confusion to your mind. That's why Romans 12 says we have to be transformed by the renewing of our mind that our mind can stay on track with God. But of the fruit which is in the midst of the garden, God said, you shall not eat of it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. And the serpent said unto the woman, now he's reading in something that God never said. Look, you shall not surely die. It's like when someone says to you, I know it says that in the Bible, but you don't really believe that, do you? Or that's really not true, is it? You really buy that? For God knows that in the day that you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God. What a great temptation. The temptation is be 
like God. Who doesn't want to be God? Last week we asked the question, what if Lemus was God for a week? I understand that Dale sent him an email and asked him for a new car. If you're God, let's prove it. Lemus failed in in proving he's not God. But you'll be like God and you'll know good and evil. Oh, yeah, you will. You know what you'll do? And you know what we do? We evaluate everything on good and evil, how good they are, how evil they are. And then we put ourselves on some scale to say, I'm better than that person because I don't do what they do. Therefore, I must love God more. Let me tell you what got you into heaven, the grace of Almighty God. It never was your righteousness because you have none, right? I sent an email out, uh, e-blast out for the men's Bible study, and in there I said, bring some sinners along with you. I always thought it'd be a great sign out front of a church and just say, sinners, welcome here. All others, go somewhere else. But, but you see, for man, and, and, and as you begin to understand this, you begin to see that, that this goodness is questioned by man. And here's the question that people ask. How can a good God allow suffering? That gets asked all the time. I like to ask another question and follow up with it with this, in this way. Why would a bad God allow good? If God is not a good God because he allows suffering, he must be a bad God. If he's a bad God, why would a bad God who rules this world allow good to happen in this world? It's really a better question. And it really goes to the heart of what people believe. Let me take you to Exodus chapter 34, verses 6 and 7. And the Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abounding in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving inequity and transgression and sin, by no means clearing the guilty, visiting inequity on the fathers upon the children, children's children to the third and fourth generation. He reminds us here that God is a God of long-suffering, of mercy, of graciousness, abounding in truth. He keeps mercy to the thousands. But when we don't deal with sin in our life, he visits it upon us and upon our children's children to the third and the fourth generation. If there's no other motivation for you to to walk faithfully before God, it should be your children and your children's children. Because you pass on characteristics and tendencies and you bring things into your world and into your life that your children will deal with. God's goodness is revealed. He reveals his goodness. All you have to pray is, God, would you reveal your goodness to me? Your world will look different. And it's revealed to all. God is, not, God is not partial to some. God shows no partiality. He, he says, I, I will show you my goodness. Would you like to see it? Would you like to understand it? Would you like to live in it? Look at Second Chronicles 16 and verse 9, what it says. For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong on behalf of those whose heart is loyal to him. Do you have a loyal heart? or a disloyal heart to God. Loyal heart, disloyal. Secondly, let me show you the graciousness of God, the gracious God. And remember, once I understand a bit of the goodness of God, I can take the next step into the gracious. See, if, if God is not good, then I don't believe God is gracious. 
And if God is not gracious, I can't receive the grace of God and enjoy the grace of God. As, as Robert referred to earlier, it's that idea that, that once you, your eyes are open and you begin to see things, you begin to see God differently because you see yourself differently too. Titus chapter 2, verses 11 through 14, for the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared unto all men. You know what the grace of God is? It's Jesus. Jesus shows up, you get grace. Invite Jesus, invoke Jesus into your life. It brings salvation, has appeared to all men, teaching teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present age, looking for the blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and Savior Jesus Christ who gave himself for us that, we might redeem, that he might redeem us from every lawless deed, purify for himself his own special people, zealous for good works. He talks about two appearing there. He said the first time he appeared, he appeared for grace. The second time he will appear for glory. That's God's purpose for you. I'm gonna give you grace so you'll be ready for glory. You're a spirit being with a human body. You don't understand that fully. You're still trying to be a human who's just religious. The biggest lie is this idea of religion. I tell people all the time, I hate religion. People say, how can you hate religion? You're a pastor. I hate religion. Hate it. I love Jesus. I love Jesus. People hate the name of Jesus. Have you noticed that? Nobody swears by the name of Muhammad or Buddha. Never swung a hammer, hit my thumb, and said, oh, Buddha. Why? Because Satan knows that there is no name given among men whereby we must be saved than the name of, say it with me, Jesus. And that name Jesus is proclaimed and all of the enemies of God disperse. They don't like the name Jesus. I don't know if you were able to, to get a copy or view a copy of the Newsweek magazine this week. It talks, it has a picture of Obama on the front, so is a shadow, and the tagline above it is the second coming. That's blasphemy. That's what that is. That's not trying to get a headline, that's blasphemy. It's like when Jamie Foxx got up and he thanked Obama and he called him my Lord and Savior, Obama. Now, I don't really care your political view at all. I'm just telling you, when you start tying anyone to Jesus, you're in trouble. In a negative way like that, you're, see, you're trying to equate, oh, this is Jesus, this is God. Now, wait a minute. There's only one God, and he is a jealous God. He says, I am the Lord, that is my name and my glory. I will not share with another, nor my praise will I give to any graven image, as he revealed himself there to Isaiah the prophet. He's God. That's why that heavenly scene in Revelation chapter 5 when all of that, those 12 and 24 elders, they fall down before the throne there and they begin to sing this praise and this song unto Jesus, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and glory and honor. And they take the crowns from their heads and they cast them at the Savior's feet and they sing that new song unto him. You see, the goodness of God will lead you to the graciousness of God, and the graciousness of God will lead you to the blessings of God. Let me show you this in Numbers chapter 6. You may have heard me say this once or twice. The Lord bless you and keep you. How could you feel more secure than that? If God would bless me and God would keep me, that is protect me. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and, and be gracious unto you. 
That's what I want. I want your face on me. I want you to shine upon me. I want you to keep me and lift up his countenance upon you. May his face, the glory of his life, may it shine upon you and give you peace. You see, when you're in the presence of God, you have peace. When you get out of the presence of God, you don't have peace because you're trying to figure it out on your own. So shall put my name on the children of Israel and I will bless them. 2 Chronicles 29, 36, and all the people rejoiced that God had prepared the people since the events took place so suddenly. Let me tell you a story about this scripture. It's Thursday morning. I've got to get my notes in sometime on Thursday so that they can get printed, they can get all ready. And I wrote this scripture down and I said, God, I'm tired of waiting on an answer on this post office. It's been almost a week. (laughs) I did. I, I just said, God... I mean, it's an accumulation of weeks, right? Because it wasn't like, I mean, we, we went through these, all these locations, so I'm getting, and I, God, I just, and I printed out a copy. I, I got on my screen, and I printed out a copy of, that, of, the, of the satellite map of that area, and I drew circles around that building, and I wrote the scriptures on there, and I wrote the scripture on there, and I said, God, I'm putting this scripture in here because Sunday I'm going to announce we got that building. And then I talked to a few people. They said, oh, you're not going to hear this week. It's a government. You're not going to hear. I'm sitting at lunch with Ron, and, and George calls, and he says, are you sitting down? And I never know if that's a good thing. <laughs> I mean, is this going to be a good word? It's like the prophets of the Old Testament. They come in, and, and they would say, do you have a good word? Because if you got a good word, we're staying. If you have a bad word, we're leaving town. Are you sitting down? I go, yeah. <laughs> Having Chipotle. Hold on, put it on speaker. All right, what's the word? The post office is unanimous in accepting our offer. And God brought me back to this scripture. The people rejoiced in how quickly God was able to do something, how suddenly God was able to act on our behalf. And it really is sudden. It really is sudden. And I love the building. You're going to love it. It's got so many funky, cool things in it. Out back, it's got this giant... Uh, loading dock. It's big enough to seat 250 people. And because the government built it, they stuccoed the entire inside. They put a wooden bumper rail that's, that's varnished wood about this wide around it so that the male things don't bump into it. It's just cool. Then it's raked. You know how you get the big trucks and it's raked? It's a perfect amphitheater. And oh, by the way, while you're sitting there enjoying a nice outdoor service at Influence Church, you can look up and see the mountain range to your left. I've already asked Robert, I'd rub, you gotta figure out how we can get a coffee shop on the roof. <laughs> can you see us all up there sipping some lattes? Wouldn't it be awesome? I'm serious, you're laughing. I want that roof. And then you go on the, on the left side of it, and there's this low-loading load, dock, and it's got this, uh, this overhang, kind of a porch. It looks like a front porch, except it's really long. I said, this is going to be great. We're going to put some high-top tables. We're going to put some misters out there. We're going to sit out there and drink lemonade, and then when it gets cool, we'll go up on the roof and have coffee. <laughs> it's got a vault. I didn't really plan on talking about this, but I'm just so excited. It's got a vault. Not a safe. It's got a vault. Now, I know architects, what they want to do. They want to turn it into something else. 
It's a vault. It's going to be a great conference room. <laughs> got the big dark. <laughs> probably get locked in there someday is probably the truth of it. It's exciting. You know why it's exciting? Because it's a place where we can minister the Word of God to people. It's a place where people can come every day of the week and learn the Word of God. It's a place where we can start developing material and cranking out digital content that we can share worldwide for the kingdom of God and for the glory of God. Amen? It's a place where you and your children and your children's children will learn the Word of God and where we won't compromise with God's Word and we won't try to just give you a little sermonette for Christianettes. Make you feel better because you got three ways to feel better about your sad life. You want to feel better about your sad life, you die to sin, and you live in the power of the resurrected Jesus Christ. Amen? That's how you feel better about your life. Well, the glory of God. We'll get more to the building later. The glory of We're going to put palm trees out front going to be awesome. We're going to cut down all those trees that look like they came out of Missouri and we're going to put palm trees. Sorry, I thought I could get by, but I just couldn't do it. The glory of God, the glory of God. Now, remember, we take our first step, the goodness of God. We've got to believe God is good. When we understand God is good, we can understand the graciousness of God. And when you understand that God is gracious, you can take that next step into glory. That's why Paul referred to it in Corinthians. He said we are being transformed by, from one degree of glory to another. You see, so when you hit glory, it's just getting more and more understanding of the glory of God and understanding the God of the Word. Up until that point, it's all about understanding the Word of God. Now you're going to understand the God of the Word, and you're going to go from one degree of glory to another. And Paul says this comes from the Spirit of the Lord, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we with unveiled faces are beholding as in a mirror the glory of God and are being transformed day by day. Amen? The glory of God. D. Martin Lloyd-Jones put it like this. When he looked at this passage, he said this. I will stoop to your weakness. I will let you see something. But much more important than that, I will cause all my goodness to pass before you. I will give you a deeper insight and understanding into myself, into my character, into what I am. That is what you really need to know. Remember, your faith will rise to the level of your view of, your, of God. Sin makes us timid. Sin makes us self-conscious. When you have the freedom from sin, when you really understand what it means to walk in his spirit as the child of God, timidity moves out of the way. Did you hear, Robert? I'm not timid. I'm bold. Why? Because he dealt with some things. He's not self-conscious anymore. 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 15 and 16, listen to what it says. He who is the blessed and only potentate, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, dwelling in an unapproachable light, whom no man has seen or can see, to whom be honor and everlasting power. That's our God. How do we get there? We get there by humility. 
You know, when you think you have it, you don't. It's a good reminder in humility, isn't it? Andrew Murray put it like this, humility is nothing but the disappearance of self in the vision that God is all. Just God is all. It's not about me. It's about him. Brother Young put it like this. It is not great men who change the world, but weak men in the hands of a great God. I want to be a weak man in the hands of a great God. I don't want to somehow have this sense about me, about us, or about our church that we're great. It is that we walk in the humility of God, that God does what God does best because he gets the glory and we don't. It can't be about us. It has to be about him. Think of the words that John the Baptist spoke. Are you him, they ask? No. I'm not really worthy to even unlatch his sandal. I'm just a voice. I'm just the voice crying in darkness. Amen? I know you think that was an accident, but we programmed it in. And we just let God be God. Let me give you some life applications. Here's the first one. Dependence on God is the foundation for faith. Dependence on God is the foundation for your faith. Secondly, don't be surprised if God surprises you. Don't be surprised if Edison surprises you. <laughs> Amen? And there was light. <laughs> Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you, God, for just the joy of being in this place, God, and knowing that you are all-powerful, you are almighty, you are gracious and glorious and good. And Father, when we find ourselves great reminders of just our ability and the frailty of human planning and engineering and design and all of that, God, we, it points us back to you because you are the great and majestic God. And God, we worship you and we praise you this morning. We give you glory and honor. God, we pray that we might understand, first of all, that you're a good God. And then, God, that you're a gracious God. And then, God, that we can be understanding of your glory and see glimpses of your glory wherever we go. So God, we pray right now by your spirit, transform us from one degree of glory to another. God, bring to our heart the power and the majesty and the glory that you want in our life. God, answer our prayers, not because we're special, not because God, um, we are more deserving than anyone else. God, answer our prayers for your glory. God, as you have brought a people together and as you've brought a facility together and if you brought resources together, God, we just ask that each one of us might be obedient to the things you've called us to and we might love you with all of our heart and our soul and our mind. And we love you, Jesus, and we give you praise. If you don't know him, if you've never called on the name of the Lord Jesus, I pray right now you would just call on his name like this. Lord Jesus, save me. Lord Jesus, change me. I believe you died, buried, and rose again for the glory of God. 
and I need salvation. And give him thanks. For all who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved, the Scripture says. Would you call on his name? If you are his child, then remember, you are a spirit being with a human body. You are created for eternity. And that when you sing, you sing to the God of eternity. You don't sing because you can sing well. You don't sing because you're expected to. You don't sing because someone else around you is singing. You sing because you are a spirit being who is worshiping the almighty God in the presence of the glory of God. And let us stand and sing glory unto his name as we give him praise in this time. Would you stand with me?